So I want to begin by just reading you a passage of scripture. This wasn't in my notes to begin with. Um, I would say to you, there is a Bible app event for this message. So if you want to open your smartphone or other device, you can get online. Our password here at Kerbinsville Alliance on the guest network is Jesus loves you. That's all one word and all lowercase. You can get online, open a Bible app, hit the menu button and look for an event. And you'll find one from a church in Hyde and one from this one. Follow whichever one you want. The one in Hyde's probably better than this one anyway, but I think you'd do well to follow this one, okay? But something that's not in that Bible app is a verse of scripture that I want to read to you because I think, I thought after I preached the first service this morning, this verse really encapsulates a bit of what I want to say. It's in Romans chapter six, and it's the fourth verse, and the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians, people who are trusting in Christ as their savior, and he says these words. He says, we were therefore buried with him, that is with Jesus, through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In that verse, I can see that, that God is connecting the resurrection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, with us living different lives, living a new kind of life, a different kind of life than, uh, than we could otherwise. And that's a beautiful message I want to give to you this Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, some churches call it. It's a Sunday we remember Jesus' death, we remember his resurrection. And probably the symbols of Easter for most Christians would be an empty tomb, because he is risen, he is risen indeed, or an empty cross, he is no longer there. He has gone into the tomb, he's come out of the tomb, he has gone and ascended to be with the Father, at the Father's right hand interceding for us. Those are the symbols that I think of when I think of Easter, Resurrection Sunday. But there are other symbols too. You know, there's the symbol of the bunny and the egg, right? And if I ask you, which came first, the bunny or the egg? You would look at me and say, you're out of your mind, right? And, and, and you kind of might wonder to yourself, okay, what's up with Easter rabbits and what's up with bunnies and how in the world do they connect with this time of year? And it's really kind of easy to understand. You see, as Christian faith spread in the early days of Christian faith, and it encountered other cultures, those Christian leaders took elements from those cultures and they transformed their meaning. And so a lot of those cultures were pagan cultures. And so they had a springtime celebration that they they called their fertility celebration. And fertility of all kinds was practiced. Even promiscuous kinds of fertility was practiced. And some of the symbols in these pagan celebrations were East, were bunnies, because you know bunnies procreate like rabbits. They really do. And eggs, of course, that's a sign of fertility. And those early Christians moving into those communities, they said, wow, I think we can redefine some of this. And we can kind of take the idea of springtime and the idea of new life and the idea of transformation from an egg to a chicken and the idea of of all that newness. And we could say that's what Jesus gives. That's what Jesus gives is newness of life. And that's really what we want to celebrate. When I see those elements personally, when I see Easter eggs or when I see an Easter rabbit or something, I always think it's springtime which is the time of year when we see this planet here in western Pennsylvania, central Pennsylvania, kind of transform from a dead, gray, dirty, snowy place into a beautiful, green, blossoming, living place. And that's a form of resurrection. That's a form of renewal. That's a form of beauty. And Easter is about resurrection. Resurrection of all kinds, renewal of all kind. Have you ever felt... um, 
Have you ever thought about that and said, if Easter is about life and renewal of life, why don't I feel like I'm really living? In fact, have you ever heard anyone say, I just don't feel like I'm really living? I've heard people say that. Not a lot, but enough that I know that people say that. And if I'm entirely honest, I would say to you that there are times that I have felt in the past, am I really living? Is this all there is? Now, I understand that God makes it so you and I can live. He speaks of that throughout Scripture, that we can have a real kind of life. And that comes because of the resurrection of his son. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, he says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because the spirit lives in you. And we understand that means resurrection life. One day we will be resurrected from the dead. That's great. But I think it also has to do with sort of a spiritual renewal, a spiritual resurrection, particularly for people who feel like, I'm not really living. Ernest Hemingway, the novelist, in one of his novels, has a character say these words. The character says, I can't stand to think my life is going so fast and I'm not really living it. And then Hemingway, who kind of fancied himself a a tough guy, Hemingway has the main character rebuke that guy for saying he's not really living his life. And you think, why? Why does Hemingway have that character rebuked for saying, I don't feel like I'm really living? And you know the answer. It's because it's not desirable to feel that way. It's not admirable to feel that way. Nobody wants to feel like I'm not really living, period. But I would say to you that probably that thought I'm not really living is a little more common than we might want to admit. In fact, I am guessing that each of us has felt that way at one time or another. Some of us may be more often than others. And I have to ask this question to myself. I have to say, could it be as though some feel we're not really living because we're not really living? We're not really experiencing life. We're kind of like the walking dead. We're kind of like existing, just going from one day to the next day, kind of in a bit of a vertical coma, you know, oh, just get through a little zombie-like, you know? The Bible tells us that in our natural state, that's how we are. We're not really living in our natural state. In fact, the language that the Bible uses is that we are dead in our sins. And you might not feel dead, but my guess is that you have a little bit of an inkling of this, that, that you have a little sense that something is amiss. You've felt it. Something feels off. This isn't all there is to life, right? It's not just punching a clock. It's not just going through these motions. It's not this repetitive, dreadful cycle. Life should be different than this. And I think everybody has that inkling, that sense, and it's bothering. It's even troubling that I feel that way. And so we as people, we try to fix it because it bothers us, and we try to fix it without God. And in so doing, we tend to pursue some things that really don't satisfy, but worse than that, they aren't even healthy for us. And you can think of the kinds of things that people pursue because we have a variety of ages here. Let me just say it like this, sensual pleasures. You know what I mean by that, right? And so we pursue it at every level, at every degree, and we're left with this epidemic of, well, you know, in our culture. Because we know something is amiss. We're trying to fix it without God. Or or maybe we, we try to fix it by being in control or being in in power. You've heard that phrase, that is one controlling woman, or that is one controlling man, right? And and we we tend to, to put those into genders, and every time we do that, we're doing it with disdain. 
Because when a person tries to behave in a powerful, controlling manner, that is not appealing for anyone, and it's not satisfying for them. And so we have things like bullying. We have things like religious manipulation. We have things like somebody saying, I feel like I'm not in control of my life anywhere. I'm going to go play this video game. And we have this thing like video addiction, you know, that we're just like, that's where I feel like I'm in control. Or maybe in government, we have self-serving leadership at every level. And all of that is because we know something is amiss and we're trying to fix it without God. Even with alcohol and drugs, people try to fix these things. And the damage that comes with addiction, with substance abuse, is what they find in the wake. We pursue these things because we believe that through them we will find life. But we don't find life and we find ourselves needing something else. Because we do not have the ability to change ourselves and to really live. And so the question remains, am I really living? If you think about it, you can think, well, so what is required? If I'm really going to live, what, what will I need to really live? And I would suggest that something you need is a renewed heart. That you really can't be alive with the heart you have before you encounter Jesus. I, I say that because I so thoroughly disagree with a very popular worldview that you hear these days. I've heard it all my life, in fact. It's a worldview that says, you know, people are basically good. All people are basically good. Now, I, I, I know a lot of good people. People who claim to be Christians and people who explicitly say they're not Christians. I've seen good in all of them. God's common grace influences all of this world. And so, yeah, there's good there and there are many who are good-hearted, but I know this because I am a human being that no matter how good I am, there is always darkness that lurks just beneath the surface. And I can say that about myself in front of you because I know that it's true of you as well. It's the same with you. And if you don't know that about yourself, that there is always darkness lurking just beneath the surface, then the darkness that's lurking just beneath the surface in your life is probably the most dangerous of all. You need to understand that, that we need something, and what we need is a renewed heart. And the Bible speaks of that over and over again. I was going to list a whole bunch of passages up here that show this, and I thought, let me just give you one. It's from Jesus' own mouth. Jesus is speaking to a good man. His name's Nicodemus. He's a member of the, of the ruling council, but he's not one of those religious rulers that hates Jesus. He admires Jesus. And he comes to Jesus and inquires of him, we know your teacher sent from God. Teach me. And Jesus says to him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And Jesus is saying this to a good guy to a guy who keeps the rules, to a guy who lives well, he's a good dad, he's a good brother, he's a good son, he's respected in the community. And Jesus says, you know, you need renewal. You need a renewed heart. And something that is evident in all of those passages that I could have put on the screens here before you is that this new heart that you get, you can't get it yourself. Your heart can only be renewed when you bring yourself to God. It can actually only come through him, and it's when you go to him that you find it. The Bible says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, a new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. In other words, the newness of heart that you need is something that comes through Christ. And it's like a new, the King James used to say, and still does say, you're a new creature. 
I love that because I love the old black and white creature features. You know, I used to watch them with my dad on Saturday afternoon, Godzilla and all those things, right? You're a new creation. You're brand new. And that only comes through Christ. I have a a 10-year-old Chevy Tahoe. I love my Tahoe. It's my second Tahoe. I, I know I put a lot of money into repair on it, but it's my buddy and I love it. When I bought it, I, I bought it and it had a little ding in the front fender where the paint actually had been removed from a, a slight collision. And I knew that something needed to be done and then I saw the rust begin to spread around that ding. So I took it to my auto body guy and I said, can you make that stop? And he said, yeah, I think I can. I think I can make it as good as new. And he did. He, and I'm going to use this word, he renewed my Tahoe. He fixed it. He made it better. Well, just this past week, I happened to look at the back of my Tahoe at the tailgate. And down at the bottom, there's that little bubble of rust starting, you know? But you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to leave it because I think it can fix itself. No? No? No, it is not going to fix itself. And if I leave it, all of you know that I will watch the value of my Tahoe go all the way into the basement, all the way down. Yeah, it's not going to fix itself. I have to take it to someone who knows how to repair it to have it fixed. It's not going to renew itself. That's the way your heart is. Your heart cannot renew itself. You can't look at yourself and say, yeah, I guess I have this problem in my life. Maybe I'll, I'll use a little more willpower or maybe I'll set a resolution or maybe I'll just, I think I can do this myself. You can't. You're going to need to take it to an expert, to the expert. And that expert is God. Only he can change hearts. Only he can renew hearts. And when he does that, you will notice something you'll notice that you begin to feel a little more alive than you felt earlier. And you'll begin to understand that now that my heart is renewed, I can really live. And you'll begin to actually see things differently. You won't see the bothersome things in your life the way you used to see them. And you won't see the trivial things in your life the way you used to see them. You will you begin to see with different eyes and hear with different ears. It's kind of funny to me that people who have never asked God to renew their heart They look at those who have and they think, man, he's a little off his rocker. Something changed in him and he's just plain weird. Okay, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but I have to say it. If you feel like people who have had their hearts renewed by God are a bit strange, it's really you that's a bit strange. Not trying to be disrespectful, but but let me try to illustrate it, okay? I want you to imagine that I was born without the ability to hear. Okay, can you imagine that? I have never heard my mother's voice. I have never heard music. I have never heard the wind blow through the trees. I've never heard anything. And on top of that, I was raised on an island. I'd like it to be tropical. While you're imagining, put me on a tropical island, please. I was raised on an island where no one else could hear. So we don't know that there is such a thing as sound. We are all deaf, stone deaf from our birth. Now I want you to imagine a doctor comes in. And he comes in and he says, you guys just need cochlear implants. And so he takes a, a dozen people from my group and he, he gives them the ability to hear. And suddenly they're hearing and they can hear children, they can hear adults, they can hear wind, they can hear the rippling of the stream and they can hear music, but I can't. Nothing has changed about me, right? I don't even know there is sound. And I'm looking at this dozen or so people and they're listening to some music, which I can't hear And they're doing this. Okay, and I'm going to do the Elaine thing from Seinfeld. Okay. The little kicks, right? 
I think I got that down, don't I, Laurel? By the way, just as an aside, I don't like to dance, and my wife always wanted to go dancing. It only took one time having me out on the dance floor. She never asked again. So back to the island, I'm standing there watching these people doing this Elaine thing, which from this day forward will be known as Pastor Steve thing. And I think, there is something terribly wrong with them. No, there isn't. There's something wrong with me. They have been renewed. Their hearing has been made alive. Mine is still dead. And so I don't get it. I don't get it. There's something wrong with me. And until my hearing is renewed, I will never get it. That's the way all of us are. Until we honestly come to God with hearts of surrender and ask for the renewal, then we'll look at people who have it and say, I don't get it. If you're going to feel really alive, then you're going to have to have a renewed heart. And you're going to have to have a restored purpose. And I'm using that word restored intentionally because you had a purpose. At creation, you were given a purpose. You alone, among all of what was created, we, the human species, alone was labeled as being image bearers of God. You carry the image of God. You show the universe what God is like. That is your purpose. But through sin, we've kind of lost track of that purpose. And unless you have a sense of purpose, you will not live a healthy life. Did you hear that sentence? If you don't know why you're here, you will never live a healthy life. You need that sense of purpose. A friend of mine was struggling in a lot of areas in his life with depression, with even some strange psychotic behavior. And so he went to a psychologist, not just a counselor. He'd been to counselors. He finally got in to see Dr. Dr. Willis. <laughs> and when he got in there, the, the, the psychologist, and he had this dialogue. He told me about it afterward. The psychologist asked him, tell me some of your hopes. What, do you, what are some of your dreams? And my buddy said, I have none. And he said, well, tell me, you know, what are your aspirations? What, what, do you, what do you aspire to? I have no aspirations. Well, yeah. Um, where do you want to be a year from now? I know you're homeless right now. Where do you want to be a year from now? And my friend said, I have no idea. I, I don't have any thoughts along those lines. And, and then he said, what purpose do you feel that your life serves, the psychologist said. And my friend said, none at all. And then the psychologist said this, listen to what he said. You don't need a psychologist, you need a pastor. Hmm. The psychologist was almost right. He doesn't need a pastor either. He needs a purpose that can only be defined through the one who designed him. Nobody knows the purpose better than the manufacturer, than the designer, than the engineer. We all need that. A purpose, an understanding of why we're here. And when you feel a bit like you're not really living, it's probably because you've lost track of your purpose. And when God restores your purpose to you, you will discover that you're here for at least a couple reasons. One of them, you are here for what the Presbyterians who wrote the Westminster Shorter Catechism said, you're here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So you look at your life and you say, am I glorifying God? I think I am. I'm fulfilling my purpose. And you look at your days and you say, am I enjoying God? You know, one of our elders, Jeff Spade, works for the Water Authority, drives pickup truck. Jeff has told me numerous times that on his way to work, if he sees a sparrow go across in front of his pickup truck, he says this out loud. He's in his truck by himself. He says, thank you, God, for that sparrow. That was lovely. And keeps on driving. Here's what he's doing. He's enjoying God. 
Your purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And when you, when you begin to live to that end, you begin to really live. But I would say to you, you are not just here for those general kinds of things. I would say that you are here to, to do, you are here to do specific things that God has in mind for you to do. There are certain things in this world that God has for you to do. And you're just the right person to do them. And nothing is more fulfilling than doing those things. I love Kerwinsville Alliance. I love, love, love this group of people. I love you for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons I love you is whenever I have a funeral to do, I get texts, I get Facebook messages, I get emails, I even get phone calls. I, I, I get all kinds of communication from you. And you say, Pastor Steve, I know you're doing that funeral at 11 today. I'm praying for you. That means so much to me. I love getting those messages. I especially appreciated it this past week when I did a funeral for that little baby and for his family, serving his family that way. Now, occasionally, someone will ask me this question. A number of you have. Pastor Steve, I don't know how you do all those funerals. How do you do that? And, and, and I would say, I believe with all my heart that at that moment, doing that funeral service is my purpose. That's why God's letting me breathe so I can do that. I am here at that moment to serve that family specifically with that need for the glory of God and for the benefit of them. And I find nothing more satisfying. It almost sounds a little sick to say, I love to do funerals, but it's not. Because whatever your purpose is, if you are doing it, then you will feel that you're really living. And when you're not doing your purpose, when you're doing something trivial, you'll maybe feel like, yeah, this is really living, but deep beneath. You know, this is not living. If this is all there is, then what? If you want to really live, you're going to have to discover your restored purpose, and you're going to have to actually become a re-enlivened person. In fact, that's probably... If these were in order, should have been at the top. Re-enlivened, you know, made alive again, right? I don't know if you're Star Wars fans. You guys Star Wars fans? Yeah, so there's a Star Wars, yeah, all right, Jake, right? So I asked a whole bunch of Star Wars fans this, and the only one that knew it was Cooper Smay, okay? There's an episode in Star Wars where, um, where and I'll just tell you the whole, the whole uh, incident, Chewie, you know Chewie? He is um, in a situation where C-3PO got blown up. And he's putting them back together. You remember that? And he puts his head on backwards. And C-3PO is just mouthing off like, who in the world would put my head on backwards? I can't believe you put my head on backwards. Why did you do that? You're so stupid. And, and Chewie just reaches over and turns him off. <laughs> but later, somebody switches that back on, puts that battery back in, and whoop, C-3PO is enlivened. You and I, in our condition, apart from Jesus, we are not alive. We are, what did I say earlier? Dead in our trespasses and sins. But through Christ Jesus, we are made alive. We're made alive. In fact, there's this Greek word that's only used about a dozen times, less than a dozen times in the New Testament that speaks about that. And in the King James, for example, the word is translated quickening. It means made alive. And it says, so it is written, 
The first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. How did Adam become quickened? How did he become enlivened? If you remember the story in in Genesis, God fashioned him from the dust and has this little clay doll, and he's not alive, and then God breathes the breath of life into him, and the man became a living being. That's what you and I need. We need the Spirit of God to breathe his life into us the breath of God to actually enter us, and then we become alive. And when you become a re-enlivened person, you become a new person. In our natural state, we're not really living. In that state where God makes us alive, then we're really living. But here's kind of the counterintuitive part. Surrendering your life to Jesus is what lets you experience real life. And as long as you're hanging on to the life you have, which is kind of the false life, then you never really get to experience the real life. As long as you're saying, God, I know you want me to be a new person, but I kind of like the person I am, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna turn to you, I'm not gonna ask you to change me, I'm not gonna do that, I'm real happy like I am, then you'll always say, I'm not really living. I don't feel like I'm really living. It's counterintuitive, but Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, whoever loses it for my sake, We'll find it. If you want to really live, you're going to have to surrender the life you have to God and you will find that he will empower you and enable you to really live, to really be alive and to experience things you could never otherwise experience. So how do you do that? How in the world do I begin to really live? And I would say probably the first step is to take your pulse. Yeah, just take those two fingers, lay it on an artery and say, is there anything beating in there? You really have to determine, am I really living? Is this, is this accurate? Am I, am I really alive? Or do I have that inkling, that sense that something is amiss? Don't ignore that inkling. Do you hear me? Don't ignore that. Be like me, ignoring the rust hole that's forming in the back of my Tahoe. Soon I won't have a tailgate. Don't ignore that inkling. Take your pulse. And if you sense at all that you're not really living, then you need to really turn your mind and turn your heart toward Jesus and trust him that he has actually made living possible. You see, when we ignore God, when we turn away from the one who is life, then we actually deserve the mundane existence of just punching a time clock. When you turn away from life, then certainly you should not feel like you're really living. And actually, if you think about it, turning away from the one who died for you, turning away from the one who is extending you the opportunity to become a new creature, a new creation, it's offensive. It's even sin. We're not really living when we're doing that. We're really dying. And we deserve death. (laughs) But Jesus paid for what we deserve. Jesus paid so that we could have life. In fact, the Bible says... He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. That's the false life. That's the old life. That's the counterfeit life. But they should live for him who died for them and was raised again. That's the new life. And so if you want to really live, you're going to have to exchange your dead life for his living one. You're going to have to ask him to forgive you and give you life. And you do that right in the heart of your hearts. You know, in some churches, maybe you have to go through a class or you have to do this or you have to do that or you have to go to an altar or something like that. You do it in the silence of your own heart. You talking to God. 
And you say to him, I need the new life. I am sorry for ignoring the reality that I need the new life. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sin. I want to turn away from my old life. I want to exchange it for the new life. And when you do that, that's when you begin to really live. That's when you begin to experience things in a way you never have before. That's when you begin to understand that those people that look like they're having some kind of a seizure are really dancing because there's really music. That's when you really begin to understand what a joy it is to know your purpose and carry it out and feel fulfilled. And you'll look around at others and you'll see they're kind of like just existing. They're kind of just punching the clock. And you might be tempted to say, huh, they don't know what I know. Wow, that, that's straight from the pit of hell. Don't do that. Instead, say, can I show you how to really live? Can I show you how to really live? Those Easter symbols, you know, the eggs and the rabbits, <laughs> they're symbols of spring. They're symbols of new life. Do you have new life? Are you really living? When I grew up, there was a thing hanging in the living room in our home, and uh, it said these words. It has stuck with me. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I want to pray. So the worship team will be coming up onto the platform. As they do, I want to uh, just talk to you for a moment before we pray. Okay? I want you to take your pulse, spiritually speaking. Do you feel like you're really living? You know, if if you are one who has already given your heart to Jesus, sometimes you can kind of lose track of your purpose. And so maybe you're at a place where it would be wise for you to say, God, I recommit my life to you. And I want to really live for you. But if you're a person who's never really committed your life to Christ to begin with, if you're a person who just kind of has been going along... Maybe this is your big day. This is your chance. You got to know, hear this sentence. I am not here to change you. Not at all. I'm here just to tell you that you can really live. And I want you to really live. And so if you would like that, then just as I pray, in the silence of your heart, you talk to God and tell him what's on your mind as it might correspond with the words that I would say. So let's bow our hearts together. Father in heaven, we realize that many times we try to fill our lives with things that turn out to be empty and turn out not to satisfy. And uh, we would repent of that. We would ask your forgiveness for our tendency to um, maybe not, not look to you like we should and feel like we can fix ourselves. We would ask you to show us how to do that. I would ask that um, you might look at the hearts that are gathered here. And those hearts that are open to you that say, yes, I need to be forgiven. I need a new life. I need to be renewed. That as those hearts speak those words in silence to you, that you would hear them. That you would give them what they desire. Forgiveness and a fresh start. As you said, Jesus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born again. So give new birth to those who want it, who hunger for it. And help them to find fulfillment in that. 
Knowing that because Jesus died on their behalf, their sins are forgiven and their shame is removed. And knowing that they have a purpose, a restored purpose to glorify you and enjoy you forever and to serve you in very specific ways. May they appreciate that there are certain things in this world you have for them to do. May they recognize that they're just the right person to do them. May we, as we conclude our time here, leave this place as different people. Not as zombies, not as people who are just existing, not as those who are just passing time, but those who are really living. Because the resurrection power of Christ resides within us. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.